listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Episode 169, which we've just learned. <laughs> Good for us. We think. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a, that's true. We're not entirely sure that's where we're at. But we're going to roll with it. So, uh, as you just heard, I'm joined today by Matt Collins. I am Keaton DeRocher. We're going to dive into the latest, greatest news about the Red Sox and the league as a whole. Talk about the roster, this uh, start to summer camp, training camp 2.0, whatever you want to call it. I think they're uh, officially then, calling it summer camp, which okay. uh, I like. Although I think it would have been, I, don't know, I think it's like one of those things, like when parents started to use Facebook, so Facebook stopped being cool. And like MLB <laughs> using summer camp has made that stop being cool a little bit. Yeah, I'm still gonna use it though. I guess I don't really know what else you would call it. Yeah, besides I, training camp 2.0, and that's definitely worse. Yeah, I hate that a lot. <laughs> Uh, we will take a look around the division that the Red Sox, I guess if you would call it a division, pod, region, whatever, uh, and power rank the teams the Red Sox will be playing against, competing against for a division title, uh, and then answer a whole bunch of listener questions. So, um, let's just dive right on in here. So, Jonathan Lucroy, as expected, has been added to the player pool, and... Uh, Jake and I actually spent a little bit of time talking about Lucroy last week as we put together our projection of what a 30-man roster would look like for the beginning of this season and um, really kind of had uh, a bit of a discussion about whether the Red Sox would carry two or three catchers here. Um, based off of this kind of just construction of a season and 60 games in 66 days and given the state of the Red Sox pitching, uh, I had them just keeping Lucroy and um, Christian Vasquez, and Jake had hit, had the Red Sox keeping Plowecki and carrying three catchers through this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the catcher position there, and how do you think, uh, I guess, do you think time will be split between them, or do you think they're going to carry all three? So are we talking, um, like, right away when there's 30 players? Yeah. I think they're going to keep all three. Um, yeah, I think... Because they had talked about, they had played around with that idea of carrying three even before, like uh, everything shut down, and we still thought that there might be a regular opening day. They were talking about it with twenty six players. I never actually thought that they would do it, but they did talk about Lucroy as uh, a guy who could potentially play some first base and DH two if he needed him to. So I would I would be pretty surprised if they don't keep all three as long as they're healthy. Um, to me, the biggest question, the bigger question, is who you keep between Lucroy and Ploiecki, and I'm pretty sure I'm on an island here, but I I gotta be honest, I really don't understand the deal with Lucroy, unless we traveled back to like 2015 and nobody told me. I just, I don't understand the appeal at all. Over Ploiecki, at least. I yeah, I had Lucroy and mainly it was just because I was impressed with Spring Training 1.0 
Yeah. Um, he he did have pretty. I mean, I guess as as hot of a start as he could. Um, but I also liked that. Um, he kind of got out in front of some of the Astros scandal stuff, A's scandal, or well, not the A's, but the response from uh, former A's players. Um, and his leadership, I felt, would be a good presence in the dugout. I guess I'm not entirely sure how much that means in a 60-game season versus an actual full-length season. But um, I guess that's not a terribly strong endorsement for him over Ploiecki, but I just... I mean, it's fair enough. And every <clears throat> single beat writer, everybody who covers the team has basically indicated that he has, like, the edge over Ploiecki. I just, I like I said, I just don't get it. He just, he hasn't been good in, like, three years. His defense, I mean, that was always his thing was he was so good. At framing yeah. and all that, his defense has gone way downhill. And, Plo- I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make it seem like Ploiecki's a superstar or anything, but he at least has, like, a strong defensive base and... He and he's already in the forty man. Luke Ray's not on the forty man yet, which isn't a huge deal. You can make room if you really need to, but I don't know. I've yeah. just I guess I was this I was very surprised during the first spring training that Luke Roy just like jumped out in front like right away and nobody ever kinda like challenged that and I just never kinda lost that feeling. But the one thing for Luke Roy that I'll give him is that he did have um I forget the exact surgery he had. He had like a slip disc in his back or something that he's been dealing with for a couple of years, so he got that fixed. Um, I think we have a tendency to kind of overrate those surgeries and just assume that it's going to make people better again, but it, that is at least a tangible thing that could be changed. So, I mean, like I said before, they're, I think they're going to carry all three anyways, and the way the season goes, if it does go at all, there's going to be weird injuries and stuff all year, so I wouldn't be surprised if they don't really even have to make this decision. But I think it's, if, if they do get to 26 to the point where they have to pick 26 players and everybody's healthy, I think at that point they'll have to cut it down to two catchers. Yeah, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to carry yeah, the, three. It's just not enough roster spots. Not when you're yeah. carrying 13-man bullpens, which I'm assuming they'll do. Caleb Simpson was signed and added to the player pool. Uh, anything exciting there for you? He could be a little interesting. Um, I am... I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know a ton about Caleb Simpson. He's never pitched in the majors, but um, I mean, he's just another right-handed reliever with some upside. He has huge strikeout numbers his entire professional career, um, but he's always walked like six or seven guys per nine. So if you think he can see a little mechanical tweak or some sort of arsenal tweak that can get him to get that walk rate down to like four, and you're sticking with that 11 to 12 strikeout for nine rate, uh, you could definitely be finding something. Um, so it's just it's just another one of those I mean, right-handed relievers where you just gather as much fringe talent as you can get, and hopefully somebody emerges. So he's just one of those guys. And that puts the, well, I guess with Luke Wright and Simpson, that puts the number for the Red Sox at 49. 49. Under 60? 49, yeah. So they got 11 more yeah. to go, which I'm very, very interested to see how they're going to fill that out. Yeah. Josh Taylor and Darwinson Hernandez tested positive for COVID-19, and Eduardo Rodriguez may have too. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect the 60-man? Um, see, I have, I, I have really no idea how to even talk about this stuff. I mean, I wrote about it a little <laughs> bit this morning. It's just, it's just It makes me so uncomfortable to think about it in terms of like what it means for the roster. Um, just because, I mean, they... That's a positive for like a really serious virus. I don't know if it 
Um, yeah, so they I mean, they didn't say if any of them are showing symptoms or anything. Uh, Rodriguez, they didn't even say if he tested positive. Redicky basically just said, like, I can't share what I know or something along those lines, which the way that baseball is handling this, it's just, like, in everybody apparently is like the worst liar in the world it's the way that all these managers are answering questions i feel like there's a better way of doing it than the way like Renicky said and every manager is kind of saying stuff like that so it kind of seems like rodriguez did test positive he had been around somebody who tested positive and so they're waiting for his test results to come back but we don't know uh but either way it's just every this is affecting everybody so differently when they do test positive some people never feel it and they get a negative test a few days later, and then Freddie Freeman is dealing with like some pretty serious symptoms, and I mean the Braves yeah. have no idea when he's going to come back. So, I mean, in terms of baseball, like I said, it, first of all, it feels kind of gross to even think of it that way. But even just to kind of push past that and just answer it quickly, I have no idea. It's just impossible to know, especially if we don't even know if they have symptoms or not. Yeah, completely agree with all of that, uh, David Price opted out of the season, which saves the Red Sox $5.7 million they owe in this deal this year. They could theoretically use that for a free agent. Is there anybody out there that interests you that they could uh, scoop up and kind of put that money towards? Kind of. Um, everybody would hate this, but Clay Buckles, I think, would be a little interesting um, in a short season. I still don't know that if an injury-prone pitcher is really a better bet in a short season, but it just kind of feels like it is, right? Um, and I mean, Clay Buckles had a 209 ERA plus two years ago, 2018. That is wild stuff. Um, so yeah, I would I love to see like a Clay Buckles, um, Arotis Vizcaino is another guy that I've always kind of thought was underrated. He's still a free agent. Um, and in, on the off chance that they trade J.D. Martinez before the season gets started, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but if they did, Yasiel, if Yasiel Puig was still out there as a replacement there, that would be really fun. Um, but as the roster stands now, as much as I like Yasiel Puig, there's just not really a spot for him. Yeah, I saw that rumor a couple of days ago and was really confused about that. I would think it makes way more sense if Alex Verdugo is not healthy. But that's not the case. Yeah, it seems. So I didn't really understand that. that. Yeah, I, the yeah. only way is if, like, Jackie Bradley or J.D. Martinez gets traded. And I really don't think there's going to be a trade market at all this season. So yep. as fun yeah, as Puig would be, I just don't see how that would work. Yeah, Clay Buckles is actually a pretty interesting one. I hadn't considered that. But that would be interesting, especially just given the state Red Sox yeah, pitching. take all the starters and get. And there's really no start. Yeah. It's him and Andrew Kashner out there as starters. Pretty much. So, I mean, obviously you're not going to be able to sign like a frontline guy, so you just got to right. take somebody who has a little bit of upside and buckle and test that. Yeah. Plus it would make people go insane, and that's always fun. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, I feel like I was as staunch a Buckles hater as there, there was, but. Uh, I was the number one Buckles supporter out there. Yeah. Love Clay Buckles. Just yeah, and that's. I feel like. I mean, just. I feel like the pitching is that that bad. That I mean, why not? And particularly because like sixty game sprints are like his specialty. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he can get. Yeah, I mean, you just go back to what's that? I think it's like two thousand thirteen. He was the best pitcher in baseball for about sixty games. Yeah, he's also been the worst so pitcher in baseball for about sixty games too. To be fair. Yeah. 
It would be rolling the dice, but I mean, for like no money, and then is it to lose? I don't really know that it's rolling the dice anymore than like Ryan Weber or Brian Johnson. Yeah, you're right. It's not. That one is really interesting. So camp has started, and there is a ton of intense beat writer picks and videos. I um, love it. It's they're yeah. so bad. Every single one of the pictures is worse than the one before it. They're like six. <laughs> they're like six stories up. The players are like playing catch in like deep center field in the triangle. It's fantastic. This is the yeah. this is the best part about baseball's returns. These beat writers, it's a bunch of very blurry pictures of people very and shaky far away. cell phone videos. <laughs> yes, of batting practice when you can't even tell who's <laughs> hitting. I love it. Don't stop. Whoever's doing this, don't stop. Uh, but so the uh, on the field. Part Evaldi and Verdugo appear to be the two guys standing out here in the first couple of days, which is great news for both of them. Um, does this feel, fill you with any more confidence about? I mean, Evaldi was having himself quite a spring training 1.0 before all this. Um, obviously, we didn't get a chance to see Verdugo with his back issues. Um, but how, I guess, how confident are you that this may translate over? This is just a, a positive sign, or it's just. Um, just guys kind of getting back in the swing of things. Um, well, I mean, with Evaldi, it's got to be a little encouraging. I think I've always been a little bit higher on Evaldi than a lot of people, especially after last season. Um, I am a little bit, cynically, there's a part of me that's like he just kind of kept in too good a shape while they were off, and now he's going to push it too hard and get injured. Obviously, I don't hope, I hope that doesn't happen, but there's that little fear in me. But if he stays healthy, I mean, I think he can be, I think people expecting him to like, go out there and look like it was the 2018 postseason are going to be pretty disappointed. But, I mean, I think if I think he can settle in. It's like a 110 ERA-plus guy. Um, and with Verdugo, I think it's just – I think Renekin mentioned this. Maybe it was Bloom. One of them was talking about Verdugo, and they basically said he's been rehabbing, like, so hard. And this is around the time he was supposed to come back, too. And so this is just, like, normal for him. They kind of expected him to be, like, more ready than everybody else. Um, but, I mean, it's obviously still nice to see him perform. I'm still a little – underwhelmed by the corner outfield for the Red Sox just because like the high contact, low power combination for both of them uh, kind of scares me a little bit. But I mean, in a vacuum, I like Fertigo as a hitter. He's always, he seems like another like best case Benintendi guy. Both of those guys on their own are fun. It's just having them as your two corner outfielders, just not my ideal outfield. Yeah. I, I think it's encouraged that of all these carried over, um, because I think it's easy for pitchers to uh, who have this much time off to be not necessarily rusty, but I mean he still essentially was working his way back from injury all of last season. So we were all excited about what was happening in spring training, and then it you know it got shut down, and a lot of people had really high hopes for him. So it's encouraging to see that he was able to keep that going through this stop and come back and still kind of be where he was. I think that is really important for the pitching because I just don't believe in it yeah. in the slightest. I mean, I think there's a pretty fair argument to be made, um, and I haven't really put a lot of thought into it, but off the top of my head, I think I would make it that he's the most important player on the team this year. Um, just, I mean, yeah, if you assume Rodriguez is the number one and you need somebody behind him, I mean, Ovaldi's the obvious candidate. I have pretty much no faith in Martin Perez, so it's Ovaldi nope. or Buzz pretty much. And Colin Jake McHugh, is, I kind of like... A lot of hope. Of Perez, yeah, I yeah, it's the batted ball stuff, which I just, I, 
he it just doesn't work if you don't miss bats too. You gotta miss bats in today's game. It's just the way it works. Even if you're giving up soft contact, if it's all going into play, every single batter is putting into play, enough is gonna fall in where it's gonna hurt you. And he doesn't he walks like a bunch of players. I don't I just don't think he's a very good pitcher, granted. Neither do I. But I guess if he gets through five innings. Yeah, and that's happens. the thing. I've I've been thinking I'm probably gonna write about it this week. I think that there's a really interesting argument to be made that the Red Sox should be looking to not at openers, but as just like piggybacking two or three spots in the rotation. Just have two guys go three or four innings each and just get you through the seventh that way. Yeah. Strong. I like it. Alrighty, so as we get closer here to the actual game playing, um, with the new division setup of the MLB, the Red Sox will be playing the NL East and the AL East, which means they have a whole host of new teams they're going to see a lot. Schedule comes uh, mainly out today when you listen to this, by the way, so you may know the schedule when you are hearing this, but we do oh, not know. Great. Yeah. We know who, I mean, we know when they're playing all of the AL East teams, like they have forty games against the AL East and twenty games against the NL East. I think that's how they divide it up. We just don't know like the order of when they're playing everybody. Yep. So that means they'll be playing Washington, Atlanta, the New York Mets, Philadelphia Phillies, Miami Marlins, along with the usual suspects. So we decided we would go through and we would power rank this brandy new division with all these teams and see. Um, kind of where we see the top-end talent and see where we think the Red Sox will fall throughout all this. So, uh, Matt, why don't you start? Are you starting at the top or the bottom? Um, actually, you know what? That probably would be more fun to go from the bottom up, huh? You go bottom up. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Well, I think we can yeah, kind of – I mean, I think the bottom is pretty obvious. Um, the bottom three. In, it's Baltimore, Miami, Toronto. It kind of feels unfair to put Toronto in that group because they are so much better than both of those teams. But also, yeah. they are just not a contender at all. Um, they're still a little bit away. So, I mean, those are just the three sort of bottom feeders where the Blue Jays have a chance, I guess, in a shortened season to maybe get closer to 500. Um, but, I mean, those are just, I think, we both have them in the same order. They're just the clear three worst teams. Yep, by far. No yeah. arguments there. And then you and had then the number seven. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you had the Red Sox at number seven. I did. Yeah, this was our first disagreement. Um, I I just don't believe in the pitching at all. Uh, the bullpen was better than expected last year, but also blew the second most saves in the league. So that's not great. Although... Things substantially improved once they threw the closer by committee out the door and went with uh, Barnes in the eighth, Workman in the ninth. So assuming that was going to be the same structure going into it, maybe that changes. But I need I need to see it before I believe it. Um, and then the starting rotation. I mean, we just talked about how volatile it is and how it could all completely implode in on itself. And they still don't actually have a rotation of starters. So it's just that I just. I don't believe in the pitching. Um, the lineup is great. Probably one of the better lineups. Probably top three lineup. Maybe even top two lineup in this group. I thought you were going to say the pitching and just, I'm so far. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, that's 
That's legit. <laughs> Probably should go that far. But I just I think the pitching is so far behind that I just they're gonna need to score six or seven runs every game. And I just don't think they I mean that's a lot to ask of your hitters. And I just I hope that I'm wrong. And I think that if Rodriguez has a season like last year and Evaldi puts what he's been doing here in these two spring trainings together for a season, that's a massive boost. But then it completely falls apart at I mean, you're asking Martin Perez, Brian Johnson, Ryan Weber in a bullpen game. I don't that just that sounds terrible. I just don't like it. Yeah, I don't I don't think anything you said is unfair. I I'm higher on the bullpen than you. I actually have talked myself into this bullpen. Probably a little bit too far, but I I really like this group actually. I think I think Workman is gonna regress a little bit from last year, but I think there's a lot of room for him to regress and still be really good. Everybody knows I love Matt Barnes. Um I think Josh Taylor is phenomenal. He was so good last year. I don't think people he pitched a lot towards the end of the year when people kind of started tuning out for good reason. But he was really good in a way that did not suggest that it was fluky. Um, Darwin Hernandez, obviously the control is still an issue, but that stuff is just bananas. And then between Brazier, Bryce, and Hembry, I think you have two of those three guys can step up and kind of be that guy behind them. So I think they have a really strong bullpen. Plus you have Colin McHugh. I have no idea what they're going to do with McHugh, but he's sort of an interesting wild card to throw into that mix. So I I think it just comes down to be the bullpen. And for the Mets, if they had Noah Syndergaard still, um, I would have them higher on this list. I'd probably have them a couple spots higher. Uh, but I just don't love their rotation after uh, DeGrom. I think it's obviously much better than the Red Sox. But... Um, Stroman, Porcello, Matz, and Waka, I think those guys are just... Stroman, I think, could be fine, um, but I don't think he's anything special. And then Porcello, Matz, and Waka, I would probably guess, are going to be a little below average. And that they just don't have the lineup that the Red Sox have. Um, but, I mean, I think it's very close. I think the five, six, seven spots, which we have the same teams, just different order, I think those were all very close, and I could have put them really in any order. Um pitch in the Red Sox or in that group, so I I can see um, you having the Mets again about the Red Sox for sure. Yeah, I had the Mets at number five for me, and it was mainly because I'm, I'm pretty high on both Nimmo and Conforto. Uh, of course, both of them have injury issues, so if they're not there, then that doesn't really matter. But um, Jeff, McNeil, Jeff McNeil kind of came into his own, obviously Pete Alonso anchoring down the middle of that order. Um, I like... And it's not the, I don't think it's that far behind the, well, I guess the gap between the lineups between the Red Sox and the Mets is not nearly as wide as the pitching, I feel. And so that's kind of why I had them above it. And with Philly too, um, I had Philly at number six and you had them at uh, number five. I had Philly at five, yeah. I had the Red Sox at and six it was, in between those two. And I think it was, I just... I guess I don't really know what to make of Philly. I could kind of like I could see them being like a a top three team in this division, but then I could also see I just their range of outcomes is just so wide to me. I just didn't really know where to to slot them in there. Yeah, that's fair. The Phillies are definitely sort of that wild card team. I love the Phillies lineup. Um, I think the Phillies lineup could be better than the Red Sox lineup. Um, and they are just. McCutcheon, Segura, Harper, Hoskins, Real Muto, 
Bruce as a DH against righties is fantastic. DD Gregorius is one of my favorite players in baseball. I mean, that top seven is legit. Uh, I love Aaron Nola. Zach Wheeler, I think, is a big factor in this. There was some talk today yeah. about whether he doesn't he doesn't know whether or not he's going to play this year. Um, he has a his wife is due sometime like right around the start of the year, uh, so that could be a little bit of a game changer. But if they have their whole roster there, I just that lineup is so good. I think we can carry them in a shorter season, and they have some upside at the top of that rotation that um, I don't think either team has. Except, I mean, the Mets obviously have it with Degrom, but the Phillies kind of have that with two or three guys. If you want to go for Arietta, I don't really think about Arietta that quite that way anymore. But Wheeler and Nola, I think, can both be very, very good. Uh, the top four, we were kind of all over the place here. Um, I don't really think we agreed on any of them. No, we were pretty much <laughs> opposite. Yeah, uh, same teams, obviously, just wildly different orders. So by four through one was Atlanta number four, New York number three, Washington number two, Tampa Bay number one. Yeah, and I went Nationals four, Rays three, Braves two, Yankees one. Um, two through four, I could kind of switch around a little bit. I'm very surprised you have the Yankees number one. Honestly, I think that they're pretty clearly the best team, probably in baseball, definitely in this group. Um, the only team I think that might be better is the Dodgers. But, yeah, I guess explain yourself. Yeah, I like Tampa Bay and Washington's pitching better than the Yankees. Um, when it's all healthy and clicking, clicking, the Yankees pitching is decent enough. Uh, Domingo Herman, I think, was playing well above his head last year, and I'm expecting that to have a bit of a... Um, is just him to not. I don't even know if he's going to be able to play this year. I don't know. I haven't seen what the rules <laughs> yeah, are. Suspended, with right? How does that work? Yeah, I don't know how that. I'm assuming he still has to miss the same amount of games. I don't think they would. Um, it would be kind of shitty like pro-rate to uh, prorate a domestic violence suspension. That would be. Yeah. That would not be great. So I would. Hope, is... I hope they wouldn't do that. So and he has a 63 game suspension. So I kind of under the assumption he's not even pitching this year. Yeah. Um... And this, I mean, we have the benefit, I guess, of doing this after Tanaka just got hit in the head. So we're not entirely yeah, sure. I mean, not to um, kind of play off that. That was incredibly scary. And wish a they nice said, speedy recovery. Seems like him, he's but. doing as well as you would think. They called it a mild concussion, which is one of my least favorite expressions <laughs> of sports because there's absolutely no such thing as a mild concussion. But uh, they said he was not showing many concussion symptoms, which is pretty incredible considering that he took a line drive off yeah. the head. But yeah. I guess you just do you believe that um, DJ the Mayhew, Aaron Hicks, and Luke Voigt and the like are just going to have similar seasons again? I'm not sure I entirely buy that. I think that they are going to be close enough um, to where they were that they'll be able to be buoyed by Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Giancarlo Sin, Gary Sanchez being crazy pants. Um, I think the top three in the Yankees rotation is phenomenal. Garrett Cole, maybe the best pitcher in baseball, one of the two best pitchers in baseball, I would think, definitely. Yeah. It's between him and DeGrom. You can pick whichever one you want out of them. Um, Paxton, I think, uh, is kind of forgotten as the very, very good pitcher. And I've always been a big Tanaka guy. I feel like he's always been a little underrated. Um, he can be a little bit up and down, but 
I, I still think that that's a very good top three. And then you have Happ and Montgomery are fine in the back of the rotation when you have the Yankees bullpen. And I mean, the Yankees have so many big names, and they also have this really annoying habit of finding guys out of nowhere to kind of fill in the blanks after them. And I mean, this year, Jonathan Belizeca, Jonathan Holder, Ben Heller, I mean, those three guys, I think, are good enough to just fill in that role. And I think that you have those top three you can lean on, and then the bottom two slots, you can just have them go four innings, and then you have so many good relievers to throw after that. Um, I just, I liked them a lot more, obviously, when Luis Severino is in the picture, but yeah. even the way they stand now, I think they're, they're just so clearly better. I also am a little bit more down on the race than I think a lot of people are. Um, I guess, I don't know if I'm just being stubborn. Um, I really, truly despise the Tampa Bay Rays more than any other team <laughs> in baseball. So maybe I just don't want them to be good. But, I mean, Charlie Morton is old. Blake Snell, I, I love Blake Snell. I can't really say anything bad about Blake Snell. Tyler Glass now was obviously out of this world for so much last year, but that was still one season and not even a full season. And he's still got some control issues. And then, I mean, the last two spots are Yanni Chirinos and Ryan Yarbrough. Um, so I guess I would take the Yankees rotation, I think, over them too, which is kind of crazy. Maybe a tie. And then the lineup, I don't even think it's a contest. I mean, I think the Rays have some interesting hitters, and they are very good at building depth and being able to platoon and getting the most out of every hitter that they have. But I just, I don't see it. I, no individual hitter in this lineup really terrifies me, except maybe Austin Meadows. Um, everybody else is like, yeah, they're pretty good, but they don't have like those two guys, and the Yankees have like four right in the middle of their lineup. And I think that's probably the biggest difference for me. Yeah, I guess I'll give you that. I guess I'm thinking of, uh, maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on pitching, but Charlie Morton is old, but he's also really freaking good. Yeah. And Blake Snell, I agree with you, love him. And I fully buy into the Tyler Glasnow resurgence of last year. So I'd take that top three over the Yankees' top three that you mentioned, and same with that, why I had Washington ahead of the Yankees. I'd take Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin ahead of the Yankees' top three. And I don't think that Washington's lineup is that far behind the Yankees. Tampa Bay's is, but it's so deep that I just think they have like slightly above average or average guys everywhere throughout their lineup. And even on their bench that it's like, I don't think there's like a terribly easy out while it's not flashy. It's going to be really consistent. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think the Rays, like, I'm just trying to think of where I thought of these teams before. Um, shot down i th- i mean i thought of the Rays as like a 95 wood team i think they're very 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 good it's just i thought that i thought of the yankees as like a 105 one team kind of thing it's more that i just think the yankees are outstanding than i don't think any yeah. of these other teams are good although i don't really love washington's lineup i think it's good but i do even without Ren- rendon yeah i think that re- for me that really hurts them other than juan soto i don't love anybody else in that lineup i like trey turner i like adam eaton I don't really love a lot of those guys, offensively at least. I mean, Victor Robles obviously can fly and cover a ton of ground center field, but at the plate, I'm still not totally sold on him. I think Adam Eaton's pretty underrated, too. Yeah, I've always been an Adam Eaton is underrated guy. I don't know why I've kind of turned on that. Maybe because I won the World Series. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, like I said, I think they're good. I think the Braves... 
honestly, it might just be because I love Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Alves that it's just hiding any weaknesses that they have. But I mean, I just can't bet against Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Alves. I think that's basically what it comes down to for me. The rotation kind of scares me a little bit. I will give you that. Yeah, the rotation scares me, and I'll fully admit, I actually forgot that they had signed Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, that's so that's a big. I mean, their top up. three: Acuna, Alves, and Ozuna is a hell of a top three. And Nick Marquez is Marquez is incredibly underrated. Too. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of easy to make fun of, but an old he's, guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think I think what's interesting about this whole group one to ten is that it's just so easy, easily tierable. Like, I think there's a clear top four, yeah. a clear middle three, and a clear bottom three. Um, but within those tiers, it's just anything. I think any order would be pretty much possible. Although I would be, honestly, I would be surprised if the Yankees don't finish first, even in a shortened season where anything could happen. I just, I still think I would, that roster is just loaded. I would be surprised if the bottom three didn't finish in that order. I would be too. I guess I'm, I think there's a little tiny bit of hope that the Blue Jays kind of catch lightning in a bottle here in a short season. And I mean, because I mean, they have some, real talent there it's obviously just not like it needs more development time one would think but I mean if Guerrero and Bichette both get hot at the same time and they call up Pearson right away I mean I think there's like a two percent chance of it happening but I could see them kind of surprising people if I had to pick somebody to move tiers here I think they would probably be my team yeah I think so too you're right there's pretty distinct yeah. With the exception of that, just because there's such a weird gap between Baltimore, Miami, and Toronto, and then Toronto and like Boston, Philly. Yeah, Toronto almost Mets. feels like I they mean, should be in their own tier. The Mets always have injury issues, and Philly being a, a massive wild card, I guess it wouldn't terribly shock me if even the, the Toronto finished ahead of both of those. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. I I wouldn't obviously wouldn't bet on it, but I could see them yeah. finishing higher than people would think. Yeah. Alrighty. Let's move on to some listener questions. We got a whole bunch, and this is, this is a wide range of topics and questions here, so this will be fun. Uh, first up is DSJ, and they want to know, are Sox and or MLB going to release any information about their population's COVID antibody tests, and will we know who or how many have had COVID and are now okay? We're not going to know any names. They've already said they're not saying names. The only way... Um, we're going to find out anything about whether or not a player has had it or does have it is if they consent. Um, although, as I kind of alluded to before, it's sort of hard to get around those questions if you're a manager. Um, but also, I mean, I don't know what MLB is doing. MLB is already being shady about this. They released a statement on Friday about their tests, um, basically saying that like 1% of their players tested negative, which didn't end up being the case. They said like the entire population of players got tested. And then they said 31 players tested positive. Um, but they failed to mention that there's also a, there was a giant group of those players whose test results hadn't gotten back yet. So like Josh Taylor, Darwin's and Hernandez, for example, are not included in that 31. So it doesn't, it doesn't fill me with confidence that MLB is already being shady in the way that they're framing the information here. Yep, completely agree. Adam Tassone, Tassoni asks, any insight into player suite arrangements? Uh, who is sharing with who and a snake draft? 
the uh, Snake Draft the Sox roster, who's the worst player to share a suite with? We're not doing that, Ross. No. I was like, just uh, who is who is your, your number one mm. don't want to? I feel like I can go down some dangerous roads here. So I probably don't want to get through on this podcast. Um, for me personally, <laughs> it would probably be Heath Hembry for reasons I'm not going to get into, but there was a video of him after the World Series that kind of annoyed me. So if you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's I do. Good yes. Um, but yeah, I think that would probably be, I just don't think I would want to be trapped in a room with him. I think mine would be Chris Sale. He's not just there. because he's so, well, I know he's not there, but it sucks roster. I mean, he's on the, right. on the roster, on the team. Mainly it's because he's so serious and intense about everything he does. Like, I'd be afraid of, like, I'm sure he, he just feels like he's very particular about his space and his routines, and I would be terrified to mess it up. I can see that. And then him get furious at me. I can see that. To, to answer the first question, I don't know how they're deciding who's sharing with who. The only pair that I do know is uh, Michael Chavis and Alex Verdugo, just because Chavis um, did, like, a little tour on Twitter of the suite. And the suites are pretty, pretty nice. Um, but yeah, those are the only two I know. I'm assuming, I just want, I, I guess I'm hoping that Bogarts and Devers would be together because it would be a real sham if they're not, <laughs> uh, but I don't actually know if they are. Yeah, that would probably be the best package. And they have to be in a room together. It's just, they're the best friends in the world. Robbie Hyde asks, now that Price has opted out, do you think the Red Sox won the Mookie trade? Uh, no, because they still lost Mookie Betts. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think it's also incredibly hard to, I mean, the trade was made before all of this yeah, and like I, the lost season and what was going to be collectively bargained. So I really don't think you can kind of compare it like uh, now to then. And I mean, I guess they're still going to have David Price for another what, two years, three years. And it's, I mean, it's a shame that they only have Mookie Betts for 60 games, but it's, I mean, it's not the Dodgers fault. So yeah, I think it's just really hard to judge it like that now. Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. But even so, like I said, they still don't have Mookie Betts and that was always the worst part of the trade. I, I like David Price, yeah. but losing David Price is not the bad part of that trade. Nope. Sox Junkie wants to know, just curious if y'all saw Mitch Moreland, obviously the best lefty lefty hitter. On the team, take Martin Perez deep in live BP. I'm assuming that's sarcastic, the lefty-lefty comment. And uh, I think that just goes back to our Martin Perez conversation before. <laughs> which more was taking him deep. Yep. That's all I got to say about that. Boston Sports says, how are some of these position battles going to play out? There's really only one, right? I was going to say, it's are like there any base. position battles? I think it's just second base. And I have uh, been the biggest Chavis supporter Maybe this side of the Mississippi. So I would like to see him win it. I don't even know if that's much of a battle. Um, I mean, I guess it is, but I think Chavis is going to play a lot of first, too. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think Chavis is kind of going to be moving around. But I guess that is the closest thing to a position battle. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I I think it's going to be pretty close to, like, 50-50 playing time between them at second base, and then Chavis is going to get some more at first base as well. Max asks, what happens when two weeks into the season, multiple teams can't play, and why bother with this season at all? 
I mean, know that it's money. And not even like cynically money, although that's also part of it. Rich people want their money, but also, I mean, there's a lot of not very rich people that um, could really use the money right now. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, that's why I agree that there is, I still think that there is a fairly good chance that this is not going to work. And what happens when multiple teams can't play? Well, then season will have to probably be shut down. Which we will actually touch on in a later listener question. Yeah. Volcano Man says Usman or Masvidal. I have no idea who those people are. Well, he's got the UFC hashtag there. But I don't I don't watch UFC, so I have no idea. Um, Neither do I. Yeah. Usman? Because I can pronounce it. Yeah, name. that's what I was going to say. I like that name better. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, CJ Roberts says sunny side up or fried hard. Fried hard with cheese all day. Yeah, this is hard. I love eggs. I'll take them either way. Uh, fried hard is easier to eat than a sandwich, and I love a sandwich in the morning. So I probably go fried hard with some hot sauce and some cheese on there. Uh, but you want to make me sunny side up eggs, I will not complain about that either. Yeah, fried hard with cheese every day. Love it. I'm not much of a. I don't like the runny yolk because it doesn't gets it gets everywhere and it becomes quite a hassle. Yeah, but then if you have like some toast or something to soak it up, that's always good. No, some of us don't have toast. <laughs> I actually don't have a toaster. If you want to go there, <laughs> I use if I want toast, I use a panini press. Oh, that's solid. Yeah. Cam Newton fan asks, if the Sox traded Babe Ruth to Chicago for Shoeless Joe, what is the reputation of Harry Freeze? He probably isn't viewed as a cheapskate, but stricken with bad luck. I think you answered your own question, although I guess the only counter I would have to that is just by how blatantly cheap he was with the Babe Ruth sale, um, I feel like he would probably do something else at some point to just solidify that reputation anyways. Um, but yeah, it would be a very interesting alternative to history if the Red Sox got Shoeless Joe and then he threw the World Series with the Red Sox. Yeah, that'd be pretty tough. Uh, Kurt Strzok asks, if you could pick two players you want to see this year with the crazy rosters, who are they? Uh, and likeliness isn't a factor. I would say Bobby Dahlbach and Jaron Duran. I'd definitely say Jaron Duran. Um... Dahlbeck probably isn't a bad choice. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that I would think of off the top of my head. I can't really think of anybody else. I mean, Tristan Casas would be awesome, but I don't think that that would be good for anybody except for just me, just because I'd be interested in it. So yeah, I guess Dahlbeck and Durant, the power in the speed. Maybe Jay Groom. Yeah, but that, I mean, I think I would rather see Tristan Casas than Jay Groom. Yeah. Existential Judge Dread. Always, that's good pretty one. good. Over under on games played this year. I I'm gonna put the number at. Uh, let's just really, let's just go with the middle. We'll say thirty. Or are you taking the over or the under? Uh, man, I've gone back and forth on this so many times. Right now, I'm feeling under. I'm feeling a little more pessimistic. Same. I think. I don't think they're gonna play any. I'm gonna be wildly. You don't think they're going to play any? I think it's going to stop before it starts. I think if it gets started, see, they're going to play like, the whole thing. I feel like they're so dead set on getting to games that 
they'll probably push through some stuff that they shouldn't get games started and then realize how terrible it was and get a whole bunch of public bash backlash and then shut it down. I'm not confident at all that they finish. I feel like even if they start, I feel like it's going to be like a a staring contest between like them and the NBA and MLS and all these leagues of like who's going to be the one to do it first, and then everybody's going to follow. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, because I'd like to see some games. Yeah, you're probably right. Jackson Posey says, "Okay, so you somehow accidentally invent a mask that makes your face exactly mirror current Red Sox player slash staffer. It doesn't change your body. You'll still be just a scrawny buff as you normally are. Well, I'm neither of them. Um, but the face and hair change, who you pick in? And I think so. I thought about this one, um, and I'm going to go with Chris Sale. What? Because I'm so the exact opposite. Like." I'm very round and not nearly as tall, so it would just be shocking to see Chris Sale's face on that body, okay. knowing what he actually looks like. Interesting. There'd be some shock factor there. Interesting. I'm just going with the obvious answer, Andrew Benintendi, especially Benintendi's got his hair grown <laughs> out again. Uh, I mean, if I could walk Love around with that, that, yeah, I mean, that would be. I would just that would make my life a little bit better. I would think. Yeah, I definitely just went for like. You went for the shock, factor. shock value. <laughs> yeah. I respect it. Uh, Gordon Constock wants to know if Mookie hadn't been traded with all the uncertainty around everything, pandemic, CBA, etc. If he was at Fenway getting ready for a 60 game season and they offered him 350 million, in 10 years, a, do you think he would take it? And B, uh, would you think it a good idea for the Red Sox? Well, answer part B first. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know why he would retain him. Idea. Do I think he would take it? I think he, yeah, I think he might. Um, I think he and my whole stance would. from this is, my whole stance from the beginning of all of this was that the market was already set for Mookie Betts, and he should have gotten paid between Bryce Harper's three hundred thirty and Trout's was a four twenty, four twenty eight, whatever it was. Three fifty is between that. So sure, I mean that seems like market value to me. But the Red Sox were dead set on not giving him market value. I don't so even. I, I don't think he would have taken three fifty um, before. But I think with everything right now, I think he would take three fifty in yeah. heartbeat. Because I mean, this off season, even if he has a twenty eighteen season, just like condensed into the sixty games. But if he plays like that caliber again, I don't think he's getting three fifty. It's just it sucks for him. It's not fair. It's but I just I don't see that money out there. I. I'm not sure that he gets to 300, to be honest with you. So, this is kind of speaking of the Red Sox spending money. Is it shocking to you, the reaction? And, I mean, maybe we're not seeing the same reaction. But I've, so, basically with David Price opting out, all I've seen, uh, and with like the, the CBA, the luxury tax resetting, all I've seen from people on Twitter is that they're excited for the Red Sox to spend money and think they're going to sign somebody before the season starts. Uh, and because of the luxury tax, if they can get through the season, it resets. They're going to spend next summer, I or next winter. I don't see either of those things being true. I don't think they're spending money now, even with an extra five million. And I don't think they're spending any money this off season. Well, I don't think there is money to spend now. To be fair, um, unless you're signing Puig, I don't really think there's anybody to spend money on now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I haven't really seen that. I've made that point on Twitter a couple of times. So I'm going to write about it in a couple of days. Um, but yeah, I just don't think that the money is going to be there for anybody this offseason where the luxury tax is a factor at all. Um, 
So yeah, I'm right there with you. I I haven't I pointed it out on Twitter, and I have I've really I only got people agreeing with me. So maybe I'm just in a little bit of an echo chamber at this point. But um, yeah, I I'm with you. And on that happy note, <laughs> uh, that wraps up our pod. <laughs> that is it for this week. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. Um, some usual housekeeping. Check out the Over the Monster website for a bunch of great content that everybody's putting out there. Uh, do we have another theme week, or are we done with those now? Uh, I think they're pushing rivalry week into a week two. So we're doing the okay. same thing next week. Okay. All right. Good to know. And uh, you can follow Matt on Twitter at the Over Monster account. Follow me at the Spoken Keats. You can follow Jake at Dev Jake, where he talks about stuff. Um, and that's pretty much it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.